let's open up to John chapter 4. Just in case you guys are wondering, we're going to study a whole chapter of the Bible on a Sunday morning. And there's not a lot of churches that do that. There's not a lot of people that are used to that. Um, but you guys are cool. Calvary Chapel, Almani, you guys blow me away because you have a desire for the Bible. So um, some people say, well, you can't really teach through the Bible on a Sunday. Maybe you do topical or maybe just a couple of verses. But um, I think it's a blessing that you know, we're able to come in and you guys hold me accountable. Manny, just teach us the Bible. Not your word, just teach us the Bible. And that's why I encourage you to come and to be hungry for it. And in John chapter 4, we have an amazing story. Now, let me just give you a real quick uh, preview of what we're going to look at. And that way, when it comes, hopefully it'll be more palatable, it'll be more more understandable. But basically, what we're going to see is the Samaritan woman saved by grace. So this was a Samaritan woman who was very ostracized. She was very sinful. She was probably, you know, she had been married five times, so very, you know, sexually active. She was living with the, the guy that she was with. Uh, not only was she a woman and very sinful, but she was also a Samaritan. So there was a big cultural barrier here because the Jews hated the Samaritans. But one of the things that we're going to see as we go through the Gospel of John is that God loves the world. God loves everybody. God loves male and female. God loves Jew and Gentile and Samaritan. God loves those who maybe they're more moral and they're an upright citizen, those who are getting high and drunk and, and indulging in sexual sin. God loves them. And that's one of the things we're going to see is God goes to the Samaritan woman and he, he saves her. And it's such a beautiful thing. And it's so important for us to know not only who Jesus is, but how Jesus is, just how loving he is and how we need to be the same way. You know, one of the things we're going to see is he breaks down these barriers, these race, and I don't like those types of people and different colors. And God, I not like that. So we got to make sure we plow through those barriers and even religion. Some might say, well, no, I don't like you know, Muslims, or I don't like Buddhists, or Hindus, or that person is an atheist. God loves them. God is going to reach them with the gospel. God wants to reach them with the gospel. You know, you have uh, those who are involved in sexual sin, or just sin itself. And so the Lord just plows through those things. And we're going to see that in verses 1 through 42, how the Samaritan woman is saved by grace, And then in verses 43 through 54, we're going to see this foreign family, this nobleman. He's probably a a foreigner who worked in Herod's palace. He comes because his son is sick. And we're going to see that his son is healed through space. And I don't mean an alien thing. Uh, One of the things that John wants to establish is it doesn't matter. You, You know, it could be 20 miles away. But if we pray here, then God can reach them over there. As a matter of fact, one of the prayer requests I forgot to mention to you is for Jenny. Some of you guys might know Anna. Her sister is going to be having her her leg amputated on Tuesday. So please pray for Jenny. Going through so much, so much pain, so much heartache. Um, But please lift her up in prayer. But I was thinking about this on the way in. I was thinking, well, she's about 20 miles away. And we're going to pray for her here, and Lord, may you touch her there. And so it has a lot to do with saving the dad and saving then the family, and so we'll see some beautiful things. And so John chapter 4, 
Look what we read in verse 1. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed, and in my Bible I underlined the word needed, he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus therefore, being wearied from his journey, he sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is, there it is again, you've got to know who it is, who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Here we see the Lord is baptizing and the Pharisees find out that he's baptizing more than John the Baptist is baptizing. And so even though the Lord himself wasn't baptizing, his disciples were baptizing and so he decides that it's time to go. And a couple of reasons that he decides that. Number one, he, he doesn't want a showdown to go down. He doesn't want the Pharisees to come and say, hey, what's up? Why are you baptizing all these people? Who are you? It just wasn't time yet. That, not until next chapter. Okay, so number one. But, but number two, the reason he had to go, leave uh, Judea and go uh, to Galilee eventually is because he needed to go through Samaria. And what he needs to do, we're going to see, is he needs to visit a gal there who has been looking for love all of her life. You know, and I will say this to you guys, and you may not, you know, you may think, whatever, I'm mushy or whatever, I'm sentimental. But really, at the end of the day, that's what we're all, that's what's going on inside of us. I remember when I gave my testimony at Nepal, and it was for the first time in my life, it's kind of like a light bulb went off. Manny, all your life, you've just been looking for love. You know, you, you had a, a difficult time, and I think your parents loved you the best way that they could, but maybe they weren't really serving the Lord the right way. And then you remember when your dad left you when you were three, and you still have that visual image inside of you. And then just life just goes on, and this happens, and you get hurt there, and all that kind of stuff. And so what we find is that this woman at the well... You know, it, it, Jesus wants to come and reach her because she's looking for love and he is the incarnation of love. He needs to go uh, through, we're going to see, uh, Samaria. 
Now, some may wonder, well, what's the big deal going through Samaria? Well, one of the things you'll see is that the Jews never went through that neighborhood. As a matter of fact, we have a map I want to show you if you can see it from where you're at. Down south is Judea, and so um, up north is Galilee. And so typically what the Jews would do is they would not travel through Samaria because they hated those people so much. They uh, despised the Samaritans. And so what they would do is they would actually cross the River Jordan and they would come around um, east and then they would cross again into the northern, northern portion of Galilee. It would take them an extra week to travel that route because they hated the Samaritans so much. Uh, The Samaritans, a lot of Jews prayed that they would not rise in the resurrection. The rabbis actually prayed that the Samaritans would be annihilated. If you look at history, 20 years earlier, the Samaritans had desecrated the temple by um, sacrificing bones in the Temple Mount. There was a lot of history going on. What had happened was, if you look at Israel's history, In 722 BC, the Assyrians came and invaded the northern kingdom of Israel, and they took almost all the the Israelites out of the land, except for the poorest of the poor. And then what the Assyrians did is they they replaced them with foreigners who came in, and because of the things that were going on there, it was a mixed race, and it was a mixed religion. It was like a fusion of faith. The Samaritans would butt heads with the Jews because the Samaritans believed that you could only worship in Mount Gerizim. While the Jews said, no, it has to be Mount Moriah here at the temple. And so there was a lot going on. They hated each other. As a matter of fact, later on when they wanted to put Jesus down, you know what they called him? You're a Samaritan. It was like a cuss word. It was like a word of vulgarity. But, but Jesus is not like the world. He's not politically correct. He doesn't do what they tell him to do because you know, he knows this truth that we studied last week, that God loves the world. For God so loved the world. God loves Jew and Gentile. God loves Greeks and men, Samaritans and you know, Indians and whatever it might be, the, the Chinese and those that live in Iran and the Russians. He loves the the Democrats. He loves the Republicans. God loves the drug addicts. God loves the world. And so the Lord, when he came, man, he tried to, you know, correct the Jews. Remember when he told the parable of the good Samaritan, trying to make him the hero of the story. You know, when the lepers all got healed, it was the foreigner that came and, and thanked him. And so, you know, for him to go through Samaria, he's making a statement. He's teaching us something, that he loves the world. And not only that is interesting, it was a very bold statement because not only is he going to save a, a Samaritan, but it's a Samaritan woman. Now, in those days, um, the women didn't talk to the men in, in a public way, especially a rabbi. Uh, a rabbi was actually forbidden to talk to a woman in public. Didn't matter if it was sister, it didn't matter if it was his daughter, didn't matter if it was his wife. They would not talk. That's how they looked down on women. As a matter of fact, did you guys know this that the rabbis actually taught that it would be better to burn the Bible than it would be to deliver the law to a woman? 
So I'm just telling you guys this, that Jesus broke through all those barriers. And what Jesus does is he just says, I love the world and I love men and women and they're equal. And he teaches us not only who he is, but but I believe how he is. You know, one of the things that we find is that God speaks to us about his love. You know, we have a little visual picture here. I just kind of wanted to show you guys of, of Jesus and a woman at a well. And although we know, you guys don't be, think I'm weird. Oh man, he's worshiping an icon or an image of Jesus. We don't know for sure what he looked like, but I kind of like to get that, that visual there uh, as far as, man, the heart that he has for the lost. You know, the woman came at noon, which is an interesting thing because most women would not go get water at noon. You know, without the heat of the day. You know, they would either go in the morning, they would go at evening. The Bible talks about that in Genesis chapter 24 in in verse 11, how the woman would go at night in order to get the water. But why do you think she went at noon? I have a hunch that she went at noon because there'd be no one else there. You know, the other ladies looked down on her. The other Jews and Christians and all the, whatever, the good people, unfortunately, they were bad representatives. And look down on her. You're, you're in sexual sin. You know, you're, you've been divorced five times. And all of a sudden, people begin to put other people down. You know, one of the things that's really interesting here is the Lord doesn't even judge her. The Lord just loves her. The Lord reaches out to her. Now, I'm not saying you can't say, you know, what's right and wrong, but you really have to check your heart and make sure you're being a good representative of Jesus Christ. Because here's a woman, I mean, it's obvious to see looking for love and fulfillment in a human relationship. You know, the, the Lord says to the woman, give me a drink, which was a huge thing. The woman, you know, tripped out in verse 9. How is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? That, that's unheard of. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, and then the Lord said, well, if you knew who I was, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, then you would have asked him for a drink. And so the woman says, well, you have nothing to draw with. How are you going to get that, that drink? And the Lord is speaking to her about something much more than physical. He's speaking about living water. You know, one of the things that you'll find if you look at this, and to me, I don't know if you know who Jesus is. You know, it's been, it's been kind of cool. The Lord's been opening the doors for me to share with different people. And, you know, they really the, the most important thing is, do you know who Jesus is? Do you know who he is? He's not just a random rabbi, passing prophet, typical teacher. He's not just a Jew or a sir or a prophet. Or you're not even just the Christ, although he is the Christ. He's God. Do you know who Jesus is? If you know who Jesus is, then you'll ask him for the gift, and he will give you a living water, a perpetual source of the Holy Spirit, a perpetual source of satisfaction and sustenance and life that will just gush out and everyone will see and everyone will know. You know, she's not listening to him spiritually, and it's kind of understandable. You know, she's just wondering, well, how are you going to get water? You want to give me water. The, the, if you were to go to Israel today, you can find Jacob's well, and it's in a basement in a church. She was right. It's 138 feet deep, so it is deep. How are you going to get water? And we're going to see the Lord ends up sharing with her some cool things. 
you know, I don't know how you guys are doing in your life. I don't know if you're satisfied. I don't know if you have that life. I don't know if you have that sustenance. You know, one of the interesting passages in the Bible is Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13. It says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn for themselves cisterns that can hold no water. You know, why would you, this is what they did, why would you turn from God? What do you have in your life that's better than God? That's what they were doing. They had turned from God. And so they were turning from the living water, the fountain of life. And then they had hewn for themselves. They made these, you know, jar clays that are all broken up that couldn't hold any water. So basically the people were suffering in that their spiritual thirst was not being quenched. They were not satisfied. Kind of like the Rolling Stones, that song, I can't get no satisfaction. It's true. It's true. Here's what Jesus said in Revelation 21.6. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And she goes on and questions him in verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And are you greater than Jacob? Yes, I made Jacob. <laughs> and it's so important for us to understand who Jesus is. Jesus didn't really go there in verse 13. He says, listen, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. You know, some people, they, they fill their life with the things the world has to offer. I like what Sandy Adams said. He said, this is a verse that we can write on top of everything the world offers us. The luxury car, the latest gadget, the fancy clothes, some fine wine, the romantic getaway. Get it and you'll thirst again. It might satisfy for a season, excite for a night. You might feel full for a time, but nothing good and deep and permanent is ever resolved. In a short time, you'll be thirsting again. If that's what you're looking for, if that's what you're living for, you finally get married, you'll thirst again. You know, if you're not satisfied with Christ now, then you won't be then. You know, you have children, you'll thirst again. You get that high-paying promotion, you'll thirst again. You buy a house, you achieve the American dream, you'll thirst again. You know, how often have you heard it said, well, I'll be happy when, and then when the when comes, you're not happy. Because what we need to see with eyes that have that reality within us, that there is nothing in the physical realm that can quench our spiritual thirst. Nothing and no one except Jesus. And so here's the Lord, you know, I, I believe, you know, plowing through all the social and racial and spiritual and cultural and hateful barriers in order to bring this hurting woman some water. He didn't judge her. He just looks deeper. And he knows this, you guys, just as well as us, that 
You know, sometimes why, this is why they get high, and this is why they're doing that, and this is why they're bouncing from relationship to relationship, is because they're looking for love and because they're hurting inside. And so, you know, she does ask, and, and, you know, for some. And, and so the Lord is, what he's doing is he's going fishing, and he's just wanting to bring this person, you know, to salvation. And so they're having this conversation. And then, so when she sounds a little interested in this, then the Lord has to go and get it personal. In verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, well, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, and in that you spoke truly. And so if a Jew was talking to a gal, or a rabbi talking to a a gal, it's not far-fetched that he would say, hey, go get your husband, because, you know, there needed to be that type of uh, uh, accountability, so to speak. But um, what we find right here, though, is the Lord was testing her. What what will she say? Does she believe in common law, marriage? You know, what will she say if if I ask her to go get her husband? But I, I love the fact that she says, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her, you've, you have well said. Good job. What you've just done right now is you've confessed, you know, in one sense, you know, the, the truth. He says that in that you spoke truly, even though in one sense what you're doing in the process is confessing your sin. You know, and that's where the Lord always meets us, you guys. Listen, we all have sin. We all have areas of our life. Every single person, every single one of us, this is where I fall short. This is what I've done. This is where I've failed. You know, God has to meet us there to where we can bring him the truth of who we really are and all of our struggles so that we can move forward in our relationship. Whatever my struggle is, it could be pride, it could be anger, it could be lust, it could be so many things. I can't overcome that. I don't have the capacity to overcome that. What I do is I confess it to Jesus because then he's going to meet me there and he will help me become an overcomer. We read that in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. So she's open. She's all, to be honest, I'm living with the guy that I'm with. She's just being honest. And so uh, Jesus then goes on to tell her, that's right, you told the truth. And he knew about this and he revealed it to her. You have had five husbands and the one whom you have now is not your husband. And in that you spoke truly. And then the woman said to him in verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. You know, she gets a, a little religious. We believe Mount Gerizim. You guys say it's Mount Moriah. And, and, but what we do see, though, is that her view of Jesus is growing. Her view of Jesus has gone from Jew to sir to prophet. And so the Lord said to her in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth.
you know, in one sense, you guys, what we're doing is we're just kind of getting a little glimpse of the Lord in one of his exchanges in which he was evangelizing. He was witnessing to someone that he loved. And, and so it's kind of cool, though, to see it and then to glean from it, to, to learn from it. She's getting religious, wondering about this, that, and the other. And, and the Lord said in verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship. He's talking about the Jews for salvation is of the Jews. So just in case there's some out there who believe, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. No, it's not true. He says, Jesus said salvation is of the Jews. And what that is in reference to is the Jewish scriptures and the Jewish savior. It's in reference to Jesus. You guys don't know the truth. It's okay. We know, and that's why you have to go this route. But the, the, the important thing beyond that is he says salvation is of the Jews. He doesn't say salvation is for the Jews. See, salvation comes to all. And so the Lord here then gets into something that's so cool. But the hour is coming. And so it has nothing to do with geography. It will no longer have anything to do with Mount Moriah or the temple. Jesus is now referring to the new covenant. The hour is now coming. It now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. It's not physical. It's not a temple, you guys. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I mean, it's kind of cool to come to church service because we all get to get to get to get together and to fellowship and to pray for each other and just to encourage each other and all the different gifts that you have. But you guys know this that God doesn't live here. Especially in this church, you're like, man, this is a weird church. You know, they got a black ceiling and, you know, you go to some churches and they're stained glass windows and they're glorious and you might think, well, God lives there. You know, there was a time when the Jews were commanded to go to the temple and, but then, you know, uh, that was only for a season because in 70 AD, the Romans came and they wiped out Jerusalem. They leveled the temple. It's no longer a matter of geography like that. Now we're the temple. And now the Lord is not looking for people to go to a certain location. Although we gather together as a church, the Lord says that if we you know, worship him in spirit and in truth, then that's who the Father is looking for. So, so what does it mean to worship God in spirit and in truth? Well, a couple of views. Number one, the truth part is easy. That's the Bible. I'm just so grateful to God that he has not left it to myself. Well, Manny, what do you think? The Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but his end is death. I was talking to another person the other day, and I was trying to tell them that. You know, I understand, you know, you think you're, you know, you're smart, you're intelligent, you think I'm wrong, you think I'm weird, but let me just share with you, thank God that he wrote it down. Whenever we're doing anything important in life, anything legal in life, we always put it on paper. Well, that, wouldn't it make sense that God would do that to us? I felt so blessed because as I, as I went away, I started thinking, I realized, man, the Bible really is the light in the darkness. Otherwise, we're left to what we believe. So the Father is looking for those who worship him. The truth part is easy. It's in line with the Bible. But, but the spirit part, what is he talking about there? 
Well, it could be the Holy Spirit, you know, like the Holy Spirit moving us, and you got to make sure it's the Holy Spirit. Um, it has to be even your spirit. Did you guys know that you have a spirit inside of you? That when you get saved, that when you get saved, the spirit quickens and you get alive. I don't know if you guys knew that or not, but we're body, soul, and spirit. Okay, our body, physically, our soul is alive. It'll go to heaven or hell. But then there's a spirit. And with the spirit, it, he comes alive, you know, the spiritual manny, when I'm born again. So that might be in reference to that part of it, the Holy Spirit, my spirit. But there's also another view, and that is like this. How many of you guys um, went to high school? I just want to wake you up real quick. How many of you went to high school? So, oh, no, I shouldn't even ask. Who knows? Maybe you didn't. That's okay. We still love you. But here's the thing. Do you remember when you used to go to the rallies and they would say, we've got spirit? Yes, we do. We've got spirit? How about you? I, oh, you guys didn't do that? Okay, I used to do that. We, we, you go to your sports games, and sometimes we'll do that with different sections. And what are they talking about? They're talking about enthusiasm. They're talking about passion. They're talking about, you know, that part of it. And sometimes you see some Christians, and they got a lot of truth, a lot of truth, a lot of orthodoxy, but they're almost as dead as a doornail, you know? Uh, they're the frozen chosen. And then you got others over here, they're real passionate, 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 but they don't have any truth. They don't have any Bible. What the Lord is longing for us to be is those who have both. Man, he's so passionate, he's so zealous, he's so excited about the Bible. That's what we're going to see the Samaritan woman ends up being. And so when we're, it's not about Mount Gerizim, it's not, not about that Mount you know, Moriah, it's not about that temple. It's about when the church, when, when we, because Jesus was the temple and now the church is the temple, when we get excited about the Lord, that, that's what the Father is looking for when it comes to worshipers. And I pray, you guys, that God would light a fire inside of you today. And so the woman said to him in verse 25, I, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, here it is, you ready? I who speak to you am he. And you know what he did at that point? He dropped the mic. Man, can you imagine? You know, and the Samaritans were very strong in their expectation of the Messiah. And so he went from being, a, you know, a Jew to a sir to a prophet to the Messiah. We're going to see that she believes that. And I wish, you guys, I, I don't know. I know you're busy, man. We know we're watching ball games and we're mowing the lawn and, you know, we're doing so many things but I wish you had the opportunity to go through the Old Testament and look at all the messianic prophecies, this great expectation that one day the Christ would come, the virgin would conceive and bear a child that shall call his name Emmanuel. You know, the son is given, the child is born. I mean, just when you look at all the messianic prophecies and, and just like Christmas, the Messiah came, the Savior of the world. You know, Jesus said, that's me, you know. And so the, the lady at that point, notice what happens in verse 27. At this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? And the woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city 
and said to the men, notice that she's talking to the guys because the the ladies don't even want to talk to her, but she says to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then they went out of the city and, and came to him. I'll tell you what, I think that at that point, she already started drinking of the living water. She started drinking spiritually. She left her water pot there and she just started drinking. And, and, and what ends up happening, you guys? This is it, man. When the Lord gets a hold of your heart, you can't hold it in. At that point, man, she just wants everyone to get saved. And this is the way it works, you guys. I believe this with all my heart, that, that Ephesians 5.18, it says, Don't be drunk with wine in which is a wasted life. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what that is, is don't be drunk with wine. When I used to get drunk, it made me do different things that I normally wouldn't do. It made me do a lot of dumb things. I mean, I used to steal stop signs. That's how bad I was. Why would you do something like that? I don't know. I was just drunk. You know, we'd go knock them down. We'd dig them out. We'd take them home. I had them in my backyard. How dumb. And how dangerous that was. But that's what I did when I was drunk. It made me do things that I normally wouldn't do. But then when you get drunk with the Holy Spirit, he makes you do things that you would normally never do. And that you find out, wow, they must be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you know that? Because they're just sharing the Lord. They just want everybody to get saved. She can't hold it in. She leaves her water pot there. She's not really interested in that kind of water. She has been drinking some living water, and now she just can't hold it in. And so for us, not to, you know, give you like condemnation or heap those types of coals, but when was the last time you shared Jesus? When was the last time you cared? about someone enough, because that's how you can tell when you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Here's this woman, and she goes, and she just cannot hold it in. For some of you here, that's how it was when you first got saved, and you're thinking, well, that's for new believers. You know, eventually they'll grow out of that. Oh, no. You grow into that even more so. And so as all this is happening, look what verse 31 says, and In the meantime, his disciples urged him. They said, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. And therefore the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. They hadn't eaten. They'd been traveling for quite some time. Samaria was a hilly area, and so, um, you know, naturally you would think that he's thirsty and hungry. Of course, maybe he got his drink, but he didn't eat. And so um, I was thinking about this, and I don't know if you guys are like this, but I am, and maybe some of you can relate to this, how sometimes you wake up in the morning, and you're like, what's for breakfast? (laughs) And you got bacon and eggs, you know, because they say that a day without bacon is like a day without sunshine, right? So you got bacon and eggs going. And then, you know, you eat it, you grub, and it's so good with the Tabasco sauce or whatever it is. And then after you're done with breakfast, it's almost like, well, what's for lunch? <laughs> you know, and you just start thinking, oh, man, I think I'm going to hit up Jersey Mike's today. You know, it sounds like a great place. And, you know, after lunch, you're like, what's for dinner tonight? You know, and I hear that honestly all the time at my house. And <laughs> 
And I and I and I'm I'm thinking, you know, it's kind of cool. And you guys know me; I love food. I am a foodie. Jesus definitely grubbed. They even called him a glutton, so he knew how to eat. Don't get me wrong, but but when it's time to do something different, when the Father has this will to say, "Hey, hold off on that for a second. I, I want you to go save somebody. I want you to go share with somebody." It's kind of cool when you're sensitive to that because just as that food, it, it just, I don't know, it's a beautiful thing physically. This is a beautiful thing spiritually, the satisfaction that it brings, the joy that it brings, the sustenance that it brings. When you have the hunger, you have a hunger, a thirst, a desire to just do the Father's will. And I am so grateful that that's how Jesus was. Just as the, you know, the flesh is hungry for food, and that's understandable, the spirit was hungry for this type of food. Because when you're going and doing these things and sharing with people, you're feeding the inner man. And it's so cool that Jesus had this hunger because notice what it says In reading this, in verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. If he didn't have that hunger, then he would have never finished. And aren't you glad? How many of you, just out of curiosity, how many of you are glad he finished? Remember when he died on the cross? He said, it is finished. Manny, all your sins are washed away. Manny, you don't have to work to be saved. Manny, you're my son. I have a place for you in heaven. I've got a purpose for you on planet Earth. Because on the cross, by the blood of Jesus, it is finished. And this is such a beautiful thing to see. You know, one of the things that we find in life, Philip Brooks, he said, seek your life's nourishment in your life's work. You know, as you're going out in life, and I believe even you guys who have jobs and you're out there and you may think, well, this is a secular thing and that's a sacred thing. No, everything's sacred. There you are at your job and you shine and you share. That's a mission field. And so as you're doing what God called you to do, then it's almost like a nourishment to your soul. Warren Wiersbe said, the will of God ought to be a source of strength and satisfaction to the child of God, just as if he sat down to a sumptuous feast. And the Lord had such a heart for the lost. Look what we read in verse 35. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Now, back in those days, that was a proverb they had that said the idea that there's no real hurry, you know, four more months. That's how long it took from the end of the sowing to the beginning of the the reaping. Say four more months. And so for them, it was kind of like a saying that said, there's no hurry, take your time. But Jesus said, that's what they say. This is what I say. Lift up your eyes. 
Because the harvest is right. The harvest is white. The harvest is ready. I'll bet you almost anything, not to sound weird or anything, but I'll bet you almost anything, there's somebody that's ready, somebody in your life, in your sphere of influence, in your circle of friends, and all those acquaintances, there's somebody who is ripe, and God is just saying, go to them. The Lord is saying, hey, there needs to be an urgency because in all reality, and I know you like your life. How many of you, you know, a lot of you here like your life. You're here so that souls can get saved. Did you know that? I mean, you're here to glorify God. You're here to enjoy God. But you are here so that God can work in you and work through you. And what we see right here is the Lord is just saying, hey, it's time. It's, it's right. You know, if I could just say this, you know, I think it would be wrong if I didn't at least mention it. Maybe there's someone here, you know, and this is not from me to you. So please don't think this, please. This is from Jesus to you. You know, if you're not if you're not there, if you're not saved, he loves you. And he wants you to come today. He's, he may even be saying to you, you're ready. You're ready. Today is the day of salvation. All you have to do is believe. That's all you got to do. We're not telling you to join a church. We're not telling you to start a religion. We're not telling you, hey, you know, let me give you 87 rules. We're not. We're just saying Jesus died on a cross. He rose again. If you place your faith in him right here, right now, then you'll be saved. And I just encourage you. Maybe there's someone who's watching online. Today's the day of salvation. You know, we can't say tomorrow. No, it's today. And so as the Lord is teaching these guys and he's telling these guys, hey, and just to let you know, this whole thing about, you know, harvest and sowing and reaping, we're working together. I've sent you into this field and you're going to reap a harvest, but others have gone before you and they've actually sown the seeds. Others have labored before you. They've actually watered those seeds. The Bible says that one uh, sows, one waters, God gives the increase. And so what that does is that as you're sowing seeds, you're planting seeds, Don't be discouraged if you don't see a harvest because someone else will come behind you and reap that harvest. And if you're there and you're like, you know, maybe Greg Laurie, praise God for the work that God's doing through Greg Laurie or others, they get to see so many souls get saved. Whatever you do, don't get haughty. Don't get prideful thinking, look what I did. No, other people went before you and sowed those seeds, watered those seeds. So it gives humility to the reapers and it brings encouragement you know, to the sowers. The Lord is kind of telling us how this whole thing works. And so in verse 39, it says, And many of the Samaritans of that city, they believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. I like that. You know, you go and you tell people what the Lord has done for you. One person said that an, an individual with enthusiasm is better than 99 people with just Bible knowledge. And so you get that one, they got a little bit of, uh, they know the Lord, God can use them in such a great way. And so we read in verse 40, when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. And then they said to the woman, well, now we believe, not because of what you said, 
For we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed, and here it is, you might want to underline this, the Christ, the Savior of the world. There it is. And when you first come to Christ, you come, yeah, Manny says this, and I've seen miracles in their life. I'll go ahead and I'll believe and I'll place my faith in Jesus and I'll come to him and spend time with him. Next thing you know, you believe because of your own personal experience with God. It's a beautiful thing. Jesus says here in verse 40, I mean, verse uh, 43, now after the two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. Now, real quick, let me tell you on this, that the people in Judea didn't honor him. And if you read the Gospels, the people in Galilee ultimately didn't honor him. So it's almost like nobody honored him. They were very, very fickle. So this is where Jesus was. In verse 46, so Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. And the nobleman said to him, sir, Come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. And so the man believed the word. And you might want to underline that or just make mental note of that. He believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. And they inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And so the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives, and he himself, here it is, believed. So he, he believed earlier, kind of like intellectually, but now he believes in his heart. And notice it wasn't just him, because I believe that God has a plan. First, let me get dad. Let me get dad. And then it says right here, and his whole household, his household believed. And this again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. And there's a lot here. We don't have time to uh, uncover it all. But I I will say this, that there's probably uh, no uh, more effective way of getting us on our knees than when our kids are hurting, our kids are sick, our kids are struggling. I mean, I I can't think of anything else stronger that has motivated me to pray. And so here's a a child, you know, son, this guy right here, he's a, a foreigner, he's in Herod's palace, again, sharing with us how Jesus loves the whole wide world, rich, poor, doesn't matter, and, uh, and this guy, this time Jesus doesn't go to him. This time this guy goes to Jesus. And so we get all scenarios. Maybe some people were like, well, I'll sit back and I'll let the Lord get me and I'm just going to get here and wait for, for the Lord like the Samaritan woman. But 
But here's a man that went to Jesus. Like I said earlier, 16, 20 miles he goes to Jesus. Help my son. Help my son. And, and the Lord, you know, he, there were some people there that just wanted to see signs. You people won't believe unless you see signs. There are some who just want to see it at the circus. I mean, there are some like that. But maybe this man wasn't like that. All I know is that the, the guy, you know, plows through. No, Lord, please, please heal my son. And the Lord does. And, and again, what John is trying to sharing, well, you need to come to my house and heal him. If you come to my house, then you'll do it. You don't have to go to the house because God is the God who saves by grace. God is the God who saves through space. I know that sounds weird, but you guys know what I'm talking about, right? We can pray here for Jenny, who's 20 miles over there. We can pray here, and I, we do, I do it every day for my daughter, who is on the other side of the world. We can pray here for one day, maybe when our children go so far south. We have no idea where they're at. It doesn't matter. That space, that time, that distance, God hears. And here we see that God healed. Now, does God always heal? No. You guys know that, right? 1 John 5.14 says that it's always according to his, his will, that he's got a plan. But what, what we see right here is God, you know, is just proving to us who he is. He can if he wants to. You guys know that, right? Does he always do it? No. But it doesn't change who he is. This is Jesus, the Savior of the world, who washes away our sins, all of our sins, who sets us free because he loves us.